I want to talk to you tonight, the title tonight, but it may change, is Man on a Mission. And um, I want to talk to you tonight around the idea, really, I suppose where I'm going to get to is a bit of a call to action. So by the end, I want you to kind of feel like, yes, let's go. That's my aim. Not let's go home, but let's go and do something wonderful. Um, and I've got lots of pictures for you to look at tonight. I don't know why sometimes I feel like I want to do it with lots of pictures, but I've got lots of pictures. And um, part of that is because I know the kids are in tonight, and I'm really hoping I can make it interesting for you younger ones as well, because the call to action is for you guys as much as the rest of us. And sometimes your attention span, you need technology. So I've introduced technology so you will not need to use your own. Look at them all compliantly looking like, yes. Um, so I'm hoping it'll be as interesting as possible for the rest of you. Now, um, Joe is going to be fantastic at the back. So next slide, Joe. Um, this verse is one that you will probably, many of you will have seen. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And that idea, we've got it on our wall here, that we're running the race marked out for us. The idea that... In this thing that we call Christianity, or whatever you want to call it, in this idea that we're following Jesus, there is a race marked out for us. And part of that is going to require us to fight the good fight, do that against the odds sometimes, go against how we might feel at times. There's going to be them. I mean, you can't fight a good fight without some effort, can you? So something about this journey that we're going on following Jesus is going to be effortful. You're going to somehow finish a race which means that you're going to be heading somewhere and actually, ultimately, you, you, you're going to feel like, do you know what, I got to where I was supposed to get. And that through that, somehow we're going to keep the faith, that it's not necessarily going to be things that are tangible, touch, touchable, that we can hold on to. There'll be times in that where you've got to keep your faith and keep running, when you may be hitting your wall, like in those marathon runners must do, hit that point where you've got to keep going. Um, let's have a look at the next bit, Joe. Now, I very much want to you to be bearing in mind, particularly if you're part of this house, that there is a race marked out for us as a group and a body of people uh, that is the rock, but also that there is a race very much marked out for you. You. Yay! Thanks, Joe. There is a race very much marked out for you. So both things are absolutely, absolutely important. Now, I've put some questions up here for you to think about, and I just want you to think about which of these best fit for you right now. So are you taking part in your race? If there's a race and there's a race for you, are you taking part in your race? Are you taking part in our race? Have you become part of this race? Are you running to win? Are you whatever you feel like you're in? Are you thinking, I'm going for this and I'm running like I'm going to get a prize? Are you fighting the good fight? Are you having to push through some stuff? Are you setting yourself a course so that you finish what it is that you're trying to go for? Are you keeping the faith? Or are you too busy right now to think about it? You're just taking time out because you were kind of in the race but needed to sort of just step out of the race momentarily. Not sure what race you're actually even in anymore very tired and worn out of whatever race it is you're supposed to be running. You really can't be bothered because it all just seems like too much hassle. You think this may be a bit of a meaningless race. Or you're not actually sure whether there's a race for you to run. Now, I know I can't cover everybody in everything, but I reckon you could probably locate yourself around some of those areas. So just for a second, almost decide, well, do I fit more in the top half or the bottom half? And within those, where are the areas where I feel like I am right now? 
Now, I decided the other day, um, while sort of thinking and trying to um, work out what to say, um, that I was going to read through the Gospel of Mark. Now, we've been hearing a lot about Jesus and how Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. And I mean, I've read the Bible my whole life and a number of times, and I thought, well, let's just read it again and try and clear my mind and just look at this man, Jesus. And I don't particularly always go for Mark. I quite like John. Um, but I felt like I should read Mark. Maybe subconsciously it was late at night and I knew it was the shortest book, but maybe not. Um, so I just decided I was just going to read it. And normally when I read the Bible, it takes me forever because I like to look at what the meanings of the words are. But I thought, no, I will read it from beginning to end, just as a, just as a book without, without stopping. And I would really recommend, if you've never done it before or you've not done it for a while, pick one of the Gospels and read it from beginning to end. I teach literature, and so I kind of almost picked it up and read it as a book. So don't read it as like, well, I've heard about this my whole life. Pick it up and read it as a story and see what impressions you get of this character called Jesus. So I've kind of summarized Mark for you in three slides. It's 16 chapters, so I'm saving you an awful lot of time. So it's going to take me a a few, not very long, but a few minutes to do this, but I want you to just almost hear what goes on in these books. So I'm going to start with the sorts of things Jesus says. Now, I'll be honest, some of the things that he says I like, some of them I think I'm not so keen on that one, but I thought, well, I can't be selective. I can't just take the bits I like and ignore the bits I don't. So I've just taken them as they are, um, summarized them a little bit. So there's 20 of these, just one sentences. Are you ready? These are some of the things Jesus says in the book of Mark, right? Number one, the kingdom is here. Change your life and believe this message. That's more one. Number two, follow me and I will make you. It says, I'll make you fishers of men, but I will make you. So this sense, you're going to follow me and I'm going to make you into something. Number three, who needs a doctor? The healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting the sin sick, not the spiritually fit. Number four, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Number five, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Number six, we're not keeping secrets, we're telling them. We're not hiding things, we're bringing them out into the open. Number seven, be wary of the shrewd advice that tells you how to get ahead in the world on your own. Giving, not getting, is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Stinginess impoverishes. Number eight, a prophet has little honor in his hometown. I've made an error. That says, is his hometown? Awful. I'd lose a mark for that. Don't think you need a lot of extra equipment for this. You are the equipment. No special appeals for funds. Keep it simple. No luxury inns. Get a modest place and be content there until you leave. If you're not welcomed, not listened to, quietly withdraw. Don't make a scene. Shrug your shoulders and be on your way. That's easy, isn't it? And number 10, it's not what goes into your life that's the problem, but what comes out of your heart. Okay, next set. The numbers have gone wrong here as well. Don't worry about it. To Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. Anybody who is following me has to let me take the lead. If any of you, or this was the one that I thought, ooh, If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I'm leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God, his Father, with an army of the holy angels. I'm going to let someone else preach that message. 
<laughs> I decided not to unpick it, but I didn't take it out. Um, but there's something in it. Well, I mean, we've got to look at that, haven't we? If you want first place, be the servant of all. Everyone's going to go through the refining fire sooner or later. There you go, something to look forward to. Um, you will get in the kingdom if you let God do it rather than trust in your own riches, not necessarily money, but you know, your own sense of what you have. Embrace this God life and nothing will be too much for you. Give to Caesar, who obviously represents the government, what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The message has to be preached all across the world. Father, not what I want, but your will be done. Now I hope, like me, when you see it all there like that, even just on the level, whether you believe in this guy or not, you've got to get that he's quite a compelling character, isn't he? He's a guy that's got a lot to say, a lot that's very challenging, a lot that's very encouraging, but it doesn't come across to me in any way wishy-washy, and it doesn't come across to me as in any way something that doesn't almost demand something from the people who may be listening to that. There's a stirring, there's a, something's going to happen when those words are spoken. And they're very, very powerful, strong words. Now, the other thing that I thought was incredible, and I think is really important for us to get our head around, is not only was he somebody that said these things, but the actions, I mean, Beth was talking about reactions, the actions that came out of his life matched what he was saying about who he was and almost gave real credibility to what was coming out of his mouth. So these are the things he was saying. Now I've got one quick list for you. These are the things he does in Mark. Now there's other gospels, but just this one. These are the things he does. He delivered people from demons. He healed people. He preached. He prayed. He included the outcasts in society. He dealt with opposition and persecution. He forgave people. He asked challenging questions. He appointed 12 disciples and basically said, you go and be me. You go do this. Um, he told stories that had messages in them. He calmed a storm at sea. He resurrected a dead child. That's impressive. He fed 5,000 hungry people with five loaves and two fish. And then he feeds 4,000 people with seven loaves. He walked on the sea. He predicts his own death. He announced the new covenant at the Last Supper. He died. He rose again. And then he commissions his disciples to spread the message. He's quite a guy. He is quite a guy. And if this is the guy that represents the father, ah, even just reading about him, I think some of us need to go back and read this guy again and read through the Gospels again and get to know this man. Now, he was undeniably a man on a mission. You cannot read any of the Gospels. It's the next slide for me, Joe. thanks. You cannot read any of the Gospels and particularly Mark, without really feel liking that this guy has showed up with a purpose and a mission and he, to, to revolutionize the world. He is a man on a mission. Now, this is what mission means. Any important task or duty that is assigned, allotted, or self-imposed, an important goal or purpose that is accompanied by strong conviction, a calling or vocation, or ascending or being sent for some duty or purpose. He is there for a reason, doing something, making things happen, bringing a new message, and with that message, bringing a power to transform people and to bring that message alive so that he's going to make his mark on the world and that mark is going to stay. He's going to empower people 
people to be like him in the earth so that when he's no longer in the earth, that whole message continues. And he is, I mean, I found this lovely um, thing that says mission possible. You've heard of mission impossible. He really came with a mission to say everything is possible. Whatever up to this point you've believed was possible about life, the world, whatever God you've had, there is a now a new possibility in the world because I have arrived with the Father in heaven on the inside of me to show you what this thing looks like and now the impossible things and the barriers that you've always had are made possible. So it's exciting and it was really good news. Now there's this thing called, on the next slide, Joe, there's this thing called Wordle. And what Wordle does, lots of teachers use it, Wordle takes any text that there, there's been written and you can copy and paste your text into this thing called Wordle. And it will show you, um, basically it shows you the frequency of the words in the text. So if someone took Matthew and a number of passages from Matthew and they actually, um, I couldn't find one for Mark and I couldn't do it, it was too complicated. But they, they took the, the, the passages from Matthew and the size of the words linked to how frequently those words are mentioned. Now have a look at that slide. Which are the biggest words? Jesus. Right, which are the other big words? Mission, people. So can you see, to me, the biggest words on there is Jesus, mission, people. I mean, then you've got the in-between words. But to me, the biggest words on there, it's about Jesus on a mission to do with people. And I think that is fairly accurate, that that should be the big message that comes out of what we read about this man. Jesus on a mission for people, for people. Now, this is what it says in John 17. I thought this was fascinating because I was trying to decide whether to speak on this and then Alison on Wednesday night stood up and read it. I'm just going to read you a little bit. This is when Jesus prays basically for us, for the people who are going to believe in him through the, the message. And some of you maybe in here tonight don't believe in him, but a lot of us do. So we're kind of the people he was praying for. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind. So this is his mission for us. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so that they might be one heart and mind with us, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I gave them. That's fairly incredible. So they'll be unified and together as we are, I in them, you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you've loved me. That sounds to me like Jesus' mission people and something fairly incredible. Now, I've put on the next slide two words, very simply. I think that, to me, sounds very important. That sounds like there's an important job to do of somehow getting this, being willing to have this revelation of, of just who we have been made in order to be the evidence of that. For us, has already been said to be the exact representation of that, to bring it alive for other people. So I come down to this next question. What is your mission? As you sit there tonight, what is your mission? What are you called... I know we talk about who you're called to be, but out of who you're called to be, what is then 
as Beth said, the reaction is to what that's going to look like. What is your mission? And as you sit there tonight, I would be really interested to ask you, but I'm not because you wouldn't tell me anyway in front of everybody. But how many of you feel a sense that you have a mission, that you have something to do? And I would, I, would, I would love for you to tell me, but I know you probably all won't do that, but I would be really, just ask yourself now, do you have a sense of a mission in your life? Are you a missionary? Someone who's got a mission and a job to do? And I don't know what your answer is, but I want you to decide whether you have one. Now, the pitfalls, um, really, that stop us kind of having a mission that we get on with and pursue, these are some common pitfalls. Number one... And this won't make sense, but I'll explain it. You need a wig. Now, by a wig, I'm kind of using business speak. Um, and just keep it on this slide for a minute, Joe. But a wig is a wildly important goal. And particularly this new company that I've started working for, every school you go into to visit, you have to talk about their wig. What for your school, in your context, is your widely important goal? Because it says in the Bible that there were the, Jesus said to a group of the religious people one day, you strain a gnat and swallow a camel. And what he was saying is, there's some goals in life that are wildly important, but instead of focusing on the wildly important things, you're faffing about with the petty stuff. And I wonder in here tonight, if I was to ask you again, and I really want you to think about it now in your seat, and I really want you to really reflect on what I'm saying when you go home over the next few days. What is your wildly important goal? Because that's going to link to your mission. What are you aiming for for your life? And if you actually stop and think about that, is it a camel or a gnat? Is it going to be something... I don't even know if that's the right analogy, but is your wildly important goal something that is worth investing your life in? Or are the things that you've set for your goals, really when you stand back and think about it, you think, is that really what I'm going to invest the rest of my life doing? Or might there be a higher mission and a higher purpose to my life than those things I've got my eye on? Are they really going to be my wildly important goals for my life? Now, this is one I could recommend to you. And this is one I want to be my wildly important goal, and I want to almost be reminding myself, almost chanting it as a mantra. We talk about confessions very good for you. I almost want to make this, this next slide and what's on here almost my mantra for life. I want my wildly important goal to be that I am an exact representation of Father. That would be a great goal to invest the rest of my life in. I genuinely think that, because I think... Oh, isn't that wildly important? I don't know if you watched the news today, but that man, who's, that man who, was, who was killed today, was it yesterday they posted that video of that man who, all this stuff, and he, you know, this man goes to help some people in another country at Christmas. He's a taxi driver, and he's got his head chopped off. You think, what? what? How are we living in a world where that's what's happening? And we need lots more fathers. We need lots more people that look like father because there is, that's needed in the world. And if I'm going to make a wildly important goal for my life, I would like to be an exact representative of the father. As Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. That would be a great goal for your life. And some of you um, have set your sights too low on what the goals are for your life. You sort of got yourself hung up on things that 
really, that's not what's worth investing your life in. What's worth investing your life in is something that's going to, to matter, something that's going to be world-changing, something that's going to be a reflection of that man we read in Mark, who is a man that has great things to say, infectious, revolutionary, and backs that up with a bunch of stuff about his life that does good to a bunch of people. And if we have a load of us like that, I just think that's fantastic. Now, number two kind of links to that. Some of you, the reason why you're sort of detracted from any kind of mission is because you think the mission stops with you. You think the mission in life is, I need to get whatever it's going to take to make me feel good. And when I've, I've got that, that's it. And I've been really thinking about, we've heard a lot recently about um, how God's not this God who's angry with us. And for some of you, that is such brand new information. That is brand new information because you've had a God that's been angry with you or the people in your life that have represented that and you have believed your whole life. Now, there's others of you, because you've told me, have almost said to me, well, I get that that's really exciting, but I've always believed God loved me and I've always believed that God's a really, really loving father. And to some extent, I kind of believe that more than that he's angry with me, although I've got elements of that as well. And it's really made me think that when you've always known something, you can really lose that excitement, can't you, for what you've already had. But if you already know that the Father loves you, is that the end of your mission then? Oh, right, I know that now. I can sit down. Is, is that the end of the mission? Because, oh, I know he loves me. I've got this now. I've got this now. I'm loved by Father God. He's not angry with me. I'm free to live how I choose. Job is now done. Is that the end of the mission? Or having understood that that's how you're loved, is then the, the response from that to say, oh my goodness me, I want everybody to know what I know. It, I, it kind of makes more sense to me that it should be that. Because to me, the end of the mission can't be, well, we at the Rock here know that we're loved by God and we're all free. Woo! Is that the end of our mission? Or having come to that revelation, does there then need to be a stirring and a call that says, right, okay, we're at this point in the race where we've got this. Okay, now we've got some energy within us to keep running to the next bit and see what that's going to look like. Now, I've put on the next slab what I've just said. You may have always known God as a loving father, but this is brand new information to others, and surely it's still exciting. My boy was 11 this week. I don't know where he is, actually somewhere. My boy was 11 this week, and I can tell you, I have been excited every day he's been alive to be his mum. It is the, the highlight of my life. That is still exciting to me. And so when you have those relationships, they're surely still exciting, even if you've always had them. Now, I was listening to a Gary Barlow CD, Don't Judge Me. Don't judge. <laughs> Graham bought it for me because he knows he likes to take, take that, but it's not quite the same. Um, but I was listening to this Gary Barlow CD because I had nothing in the car at the time. And uh, <laughs> that's my excuse, Danny. Um, I was a bit embarrassed about this. And this song came on. And Gary Barlow, I don't know if you know, was a sort of massive music, massive music man. Um, and his, I think it was last year when he was writing this album. It's really a lot of it's based around um, what he went through um, when his, his baby was stillborn. And so he's obviously grieving. And you can tell from his songs he's asking lots of questions and other things, because it was written around that time. And, um, and he writes, he, he, there's songs where there's these lyrics, and I'll read them to you, and it's kind of a bit like, and I have chosen a particularly emotive picture to get to you as well, I'll admit that. But look, this is what he said, tell me, if you found God, 
and he gave you hope, would you tell the world or save your soul? If you found God, would you take him home? Would you open the curtains or keep them closed? If you found God, if you found God, would he be your secret? Could anyone really be that selfish? Could anyone really be that cruel to keep the king of heaven and earth right next to you? And I kind of was listening to it thinking, that's quite challenging actually, because I think, I wonder how much of my own life God is still almost this kind of idea. We still have this kind of almost idea that, that he's, he's ours. He's mine. He's mine for, to make me feel better. He's mine to whatever. And really, there's a bunch of people out there who have no comprehension that there is, is a father who loves them. They just don't know because no one's telling them. And there surely has to be a responsibility that we have to tell them. Now, I don't mean what I don't mean by that. Um, I, had a, I, had, I don't want to confess this. <laughs> I'm going to tell you because it will make you laugh. But I, am, I am quite embarrassed and I'm embarrassed and embarrassed. I went out with the boy before your son. I chose your son. He was very different, this man. Um, I went out with the boy and he was a, a, a children's youth worker. And he had a red car with, and plastered across the red car in yellow writing. It was, praise the Lord! because um, that was his car and he would pick me up from uni when I was training to be a teacher and I, I'm going to be honest with you I would ask him to pick me up around the corner because I was a little bit mortified <laughs> to get in this red praise the Lord car but he um, he was he, he was the most genuine lovely person I've ever met and, and he, he felt compelled to tell absolutely everybody about Jesus. If you were sitting in the cinema with him, and you know how Jesus is sometimes used as a swear word? <laughs> so if on the screen someone said Jesus, he shouted out his Lord in the cinema. And it was, and oh, I, I just, yeah, I, I, would find, I found that quite difficult because I wasn't sure how well it connected with the people around us. And um, if him and his friend were, if him and his friend, um, I went for, as you can tell, Graham's really not like this. <laughs> <I think>. um, <laughs> if, um, if him and his friend were sort of out in a park and they saw, they saw um, someone with a camcorder, they would go filming, they would go up behind them and start preaching the gospel behind them so that when whoever watched the video watched it back, they'd hear the message of Jesus. Now, I'm, not, I'm actually not knocking it because he was doing that for genuine reasons. But what I'm saying is, for us to communicate isn't just us going and telling, telling people. It's being exact representations of the Father. We can be being the Father by going and sitting with somebody and holding their hand when they're hurting. I'm not talking about sort of going back to this thing where we, we stand on the streets and with our billboards and that sort of thing. Although there may, might be the need sometimes to be more explicit in how we do things. I'm talking about it being us being father and taking every opportunity to make that as um, evident as possible in our lives, making choices to react a certain way in order to show God a certain way, not perhaps react the way that we want to at the time because we're just that way out and really being conscious of, of, of the image that we are presenting. Now, the other thing that can be a struggle is that we can really allow fear to be a greater motivator than love. So if for you God was scary and God was terrifying and you had to do all those things or you would be in trouble and that's what you had to do. Um, once you realise you don't have to do those things anymore, sometimes you lose a sense of motivation. And some of you who maybe grew up with this scary God where you had to do these things or else you were in trouble, once you realise you're not in trouble, you can then almost lose your sense that 
you even feel the need to do those things anymore. And some of them were still good things to do. And you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, I want to show you a short video. Um, and someone showed this once a few years ago, and I remembered it this week when I was preparing. And you'll see, what, you'll see a lot of what it is. But it was a... It, in fact, I'm just going to show you it. And I want to show you it as an example of um, the motivation that can come to, to run a race that is motivated by a real experience of love. It's about four minutes long, and then, then we'll wrap up and bring it to a close. But just watch this and think, love is a great motivator to run a race on behalf of somebody else. Thanks, Joe. Beautiful, isn't it? There's loads of really good videos. I chose one that was fairly short, but there's loads of really good videos that tell the whole story. And this dad, when this boy was very, very young, he said to his dad, Dad, I want to run a marathon. But he obviously couldn't because he physically couldn't. So dad said, all right. And he, they worked their way up and dad learned how to run marathons. But you can imagine the physical fitness the dad had to have in himself would be significant, and then to push somebody else. And then gradually, as the child got older, they did more and more and more, so they're doing these triathlons. And it just, when I remember this, when I was thinking about what I was going to say last night, I thought, that man not only joined the race for himself, but he joined the race on behalf of someone that he loved desperately, and he carried them because they couldn't do it. And it just struck me that that is the spirit that would be wonderful to have in this place. That not only does each and every one of us take our own place in the race, but we will also be willing to put in the, the effort. I mean, that's effortful. That takes some physical doing. We would put in the effort to even run not only our race, but to push others on theirs who can't make it by themselves. That, to me, is surely what the spirit of that man on a mission is all about, surely. Um, and I, the next thing I've just put up is, I put some of you, some of you, the reason why your mission is not working for you is some of you want to, to say it but not be it, and for it to work. And this isn't just words we're talking here, and it isn't just something that can do... The words and the knowledge of it is wonderful, but unless it becomes something that is embraced as a lifestyle, it doesn't really become... I mean, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. So knowledge will make you feel like, woohoo, I know some stuff. But it's going to be love that builds you. And if you're trying to build your life on knowledge, it won't actually be a that satisfying experience because you've got to take what you know and then apply it to your life and be something. And that is what will make the difference. And some of you want to take the information and then not put your action behind it. And that's why it's not working for you. Now, we've got this thing now that everyone follows everyone on Twitter. And you can follow people on Twitter. What does that mean? You can nosy at their life without any connection whatsoever. That's what following someone on Twitter means. You can read everything they've got to say. You can interact with them if you want to, but you don't even have to interact or acknowledge them. They, a lot of the time, maybe don't even know who you are. And we've got this idea that to follow something is this almost thing that's quite disconnected that is at your convenience. Now, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must take up their cross, deny themselves, and follow me. That's a call to a mission. That's a call to something 
very effortful. And the other thing he said was, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go. You're on a mission. There's something to do. And look at all those countries in the world. What's wonderful is how we're already so connected to so many of those countries, which I think is brilliantly exciting. Um, but there is actually a call and a mission. And today, I guess, like I said, this is a real, we're called to some action. We've heard some stuff, we know some stuff, we say we believe some stuff. And there's, I almost, I feel like I'm almost um, stirring, trying to stir up your spirit to almost say, what is my mission? What am I called for? When I was 21 years old, um, I remember asking this question and feeling very strongly that what came to me was that I was called to know God's heart and to communicate it. And at the time, I was so desperately shy that I would never have spoken in class at school. I got absolutely terrified to speak in a group of adults. Um, terrified. Would go bright red, would be absolutely terrified. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to... That's a great mission, but <laughs> that's not me. But then you have to take steps, don't you, to become that. And, and even... Even now, I get incredibly nervous speaking in front of people, but I also get very fulfilled responding to a call on my life to what I've been called to do. And some of you, you've got to, like Danny said in that video about being brave, some of it's scary, but I tell you, you've got to respond to the call, step up, put in some effort, because actually that's going to be, that, you're going to be alive. Um, I went to two schools in one day this week. I'm nearly done. I went to school, two schools in one day this week, and I went to the first school, and there was um, this fantastic um, Raising Standards Leader, the call is the guy. It's the next slide for me, Joe, thanks. Um, fantastic Raising Standards Leader who's responsible for the results in his school, and he had all these wonderful ideas. Next one. Just spilt my water. All these wonderful ideas dribbling down my chin. Um, Fantastic ideas, and the, both schools had similar intake. The pupils come in below national average, they're very weak, they struggle with the maths and English, and of course that's a big barrier. And both schools had great leaders, um, people that were wanting to, had an idea of a mission, knowing what they wanted to do, you know, really a sense of we're going somewhere, there's a vision to what we're doing. But in one school, we're struggling to recruit any staff to help because it was about to go into, it's probably about to go into special measures, so no one wants to go and work there. And the other school had great staff. Now, which of those places do you think are going to be able to get the job done? Is it going to be the schools where there's vision at the top, but nobody to do the work? It's going to be the place where there's people actually all contributing. And it, I really felt that I needed to say tonight, some of you, no matter whether... The leaders here are your favourite people, have met your expectations, whether you think we're great or you think we're completely flawed, which we are um, in many ways. But whatever you think of the people and the personalities and whether we've met your expectations or not and whether we do that on a daily basis, I think you'd have to agree there is a sense that we are called to do something. And there is a sense that which we are called to some action. And actually, we can't do that on our own, it will fall flat. And what will work is where you see gaps and where you see things, well, I wish it wasn't done like that and I wish it wasn't done like that. Where it will work is where you take your place, where you run your part of the race. Because if everybody's running their part of the race, it's all covered. 
And at this school, I looked at this school and I, I walked away thinking, I don't know how he's going to pull that off because I get that he's got a vision. I get that he's got an idea of where he wants to go, but he cannot pull that off unless he gets some people around him. And I feel that here as well, that unless we get a bunch of people running a race, we can have a greatest message in the world, but it might not go very far. So we want everybody involved with the mission possible. And I just want to be practical for just one second. I'm nearly there. And Joe, will you put up that slide with the four pictures? I just want to very simplistically tell you the four types of people that we've got in this building, right? Because this is about a mission for this, okay? I've done it very simplistically. I know it's not this simplistic, but it's important, and it's important with what Beth was saying about perspectives. If you look at the tree there, that almost represents the fact that some of you, your roots are in this place. Who has been here the longest? 50 years, anyone? 50 years, how many years, Keith? 60. 60. Can anyone go higher than 60? Amazing, it is. Anyone go higher than 60? Who's been here more than 40 years? I mean, a few of you. A few of you. Who's been here their whole life? <laughs> a few of you all across the age. Now, there are some people that you could say were the, were the, were the roots of They're rooted in this place. It's where you've grown from. It's where you've come from. And this place can't work without you people. It can't. Some of those people have invested their whole life, their whole life, 60 years, 60 years of his life invested in something. Now think of the changes that Keith will have had to see over the years. Think of all the wacky ideas, Keith. Think of all the things you'll have been made to do. I mean, think of... but. The fact that in this place there, are, there is a core and a significant core in here tonight of people who have faithfully served year after year after year after year, who have supported financially year after year after year, who have actually adapted to change that you probably thought, well, I quite like some of that the way it was before, but you've been willing to go and you've been willing to change. And there's things sometimes that have to happen in this place for you people. So some of you I know who are new here, you sometimes think, why do we have to go all over the Bible stuff and what people used to believe when actually that's not relevant to me? It's because for some of us to adjust our thinking from there to there, we've got to go on a journey with that because that's huge, because we invested a whole lifetime in that. And if it's changed, we need to really be able to understand why, because otherwise we're going to find it difficult to keep our roots. And some have found it difficult to keep our roots. So there's that group of people in here. Now, If you're not part of that group of people, how can you serve that group of people? Perhaps it's by sitting down with one of them and saying, tell me, if some of you, younger ones, or some of you new to the church, need to sit with Keith Anderson and say, tell me what it's been like to be here for 60 years, Keith, and let him share his story with you, because that there's wisdom that that man has. Because he's been here all that time, what has he seen? And some of you who are not where these people are, it would do you an incredible amount of good to get their perspective. Now, let's take the bottom. These are the people that are connected to us around the world. There are people listening online, watching online, who are connected to us, and we feed them. We feed them financially. We feed them with the revelation we've got. They are in situations in the world that are so polar opposite to us. And when we come here and we gather together, there are people there. Now again, if you're not in that category, is there anything you can do to support that group of people? Could you email someone? Could you be saying to 
Um, Ant, for example, you know when you go to India, is there somewhat, the, the pastors there that you work with, give me their email address. Once a month, I want to email them some encouragement. Do something for, do something. Do you see what I'm getting at? Now, there's the toe dipper in the water. Some of you, you've got your toes in this thing, but you're not quite sure if you're fully in. And sometimes you think, yeah, mm, mm. you might come weeks, some, come, come some weeks, not other weeks. You can't really decide when you want to buy in, but you keep coming back. I want to encourage you to just jump in a bit. Why not just jump the whole way in and get the whole thing you could get out of this by getting around some of these other people, by finding out more about it, by digging in and getting really, really involved so that you're getting the most out of it. And then we've got the takeaways. You all know the people. They, they come and they're just going to take our stuff and they're going to go. And they're not going to give a fat lot back. But you know what? That's okay as well, because the rest of us can cover that. And they might be the ones that we have to run with. But I would also challenge some of you, if you're in tonight, if you're just taking from this place and you've not even considered a way to reinvest, talk to one of us. Find out what you can do. Put something back in. Because if we all start appreciating the perspective that anybody's looking at it for and stop seeing this. This is not a customer service thing. I hate bad service. This is not like I come to church. Church services me. If I get a good service, I'll go home and say, yes, that was a good service tonight. It pleased me. Every week we should be going out of this place saying, right, did I fulfill my call? Did I run my race? What was my mission in that building tonight? And did I step up and run it? It's not like a... Pro we're in this commute... What's the word? Commute consumerist society where we just go and we take what... This isn't a... This isn't a... Do you know what I mean? It's not a shop. It's not a shop where I come and I get what I want and if I'm not happy, I go home and moan about it. It's a race for you to run. It's a call. It's a mission. Your missionaries in here tonight. And, oh, I'm excited. Right, so... Next bit, I I'm, I'm, promise you, to, I'm, do, I'm done, right? Next bit, can we get the job done? I liked this. We just didn't get the job done. We couldn't get anyone to step up in the second half. Do you remember, Anthony, if you were here on Wednesday night the other week, he spoke prophetically and said there'd been a prophetic thing. Do you remember? It'd been a prophetic thing. And he said, we're in the second half. We're moving into the second half. And do you know what? We need some people for the second half of this journey. So last bit, what's your calling are you waiting for someone else to tell you? Or are you going to open up your mind and have God call you to something? This Jesus, this man of action, this man on a mission. Has he got a calling for your life or is he just like, well, I've got a calling for everybody else, but you, you can just bum about and not do anything. I've not no call for you. Just sit on your sofa. Is there no call for you? Or are we all called? So last thing, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Is that you? Or do we need... I'm calling you again. I'm calling you. I'm saying there's a mission for you and there's a mission for your life. And I believe that God's going to show you that and reveal that to you. And I want everyone in the race. Right. Should we pray? Let's pray. Okay. Do you want to stand and stretch? God... Jesus, tonight, I wish that I could go around this building now and tell everybody the exact mission that you have for their life, but I can't because that's actually something that each individual needs to be willing to actually participate in. And so I, I really, what I want to say tonight, Lord, is that I know that you have called everyone in this place to a mission. 
And I want to ask that over the coming hours and days that you will give each one a sense of what is the race that you have made, marked out for them? What is the wildly important goal that you want them in them to invest in with effort so that we can be part of the magnificent story that is Jesus in us. That is us being an exact representation of you in the earth, that we will be called to action. Not, Lord, because you'll be upset with us if we, we don't. Not, Lord, because we're afraid of you. Not, Lord, because we, know, we think we can achieve anything by works because we know we're already loved. We want to respond to a call, love, be, um, a call, Lord, because that is the appropriate and um, response that comes out of our hearts because of what we have been given and called to. And so I just ask for you to do what only you can do, Lord, by your spirit in each person tonight. And I ask you to bring that revelation to light for each person and I trust that we will run the race marks out for us and have a deeper sensitivity to each other in this place, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Right, please do, do, do. The one other thing I wanted to say is that please will you keep feeding back and having conversation with us because we're really want to know where people are at. We want to know how you are. We want to know what's going on. We want to know um, where you think you fit. So be brave. Come and ask the question. If you're struggling to know your mission, come and talk to one of us. Talk to each other. And let's uh, run a fantastic race and carry a few people with us. All right. Thank you.